You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago and Seattle. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Rye, the movie guy, and sitting alongside us in Seattle is Phil. Me and Phil. Hello, how we doing, boys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, it is what we like to call a review o rama. Review o rama. You got to say it like that. Yeah. Streaming edition. The streaming edition, Ryan. This is this is the review of Rama. You can instantly get on board with and enjoy along with us. We discussed last week what we were going to do on this particular pod- podcast. And it's January. It's winter for most of the country. And we decided. It's winter for do- all of the country. It's just cold in most of the country. Right. But it's a downtime, not a lot going on. Right. So people are in their homes. This was the point I was trying to make. And so we decided to do a review Rama on movies that are available on streaming services so that everybody either has seen this movie or this is a recommendation for them to see the movie. Or or to skip. You never know. This is true. This is true. And there's one in particular I can't wait to hear your thoughts on. What are the movies we're reviewing this week, Matt? We are review-o-rama-ing Sick, Strange World, The Menu, and Deep Impact. And that last one is a retro review, Ryan. Right. To celebrate Robert Duvall. Are we still celebrating him, Phil? Yeah, it's still January. What kind of foolish question is that? So it is Robert Duvall month, meaning that we have another clip and we have another fact. Awesome. And in honor of Strange World, one of our reviews, Matt, it is a family about explorers. No guests this week. So we're playing Stump the Kabinsky. The theme is Explorer movies. This is a genre I happen to be fond of. Even though you, you really pissed me off last week with, with a, a topic I thought I knew a lot about and I lost, I think I'll do okay. Interesting. In fact, well, hey, you know, let's, let's make it interesting. I owe you 10 bucks currently. We yes. made a bet about Avatar. And I yes. said that Megan would usurp Avatar as the box office leader in its debut weekend. It did not. It's done respectably well, but it did not unseat Avatar. Double or nothing, Ryan. So if I win, I don't owe you anything. And if I lose, oh, I owe you 20 that, bucks. Is that what That's double, how double or nothing or, means? Yes. Oh, I'm not sure if you knew. Okay. All right. Now I understand what double or nothing means. Um, I'll take you up on that. Three, so, so three correct. And you have not stumped the Kabinsky. Correct. All right. All right. Double or nothing. We have made it interesting. We're gambling here on the podcast. And we are seeing each other this weekend for the Chicago Indie Critics. We are proud members of this group. And our critic awards presentation is this weekend. Me and Matt are actually planning a dinner beforehand, like real adults, Matt. We're meeting for dinner beforehand, a couple of beers, and then going to the awards ceremony. So at that point, we will either have Matt pay me the $20 he'll owe me or... I'll just buy dinner like I normally do. Yeah. And if we got to remember to put it on Instagram, if I lose me handing you the 20 bucks and here's another thing. I don't know if that's actually adulting, Ryan, that, that sounds like pre-gaming to me, which is really the opposite of adulting. We're going yeah. to an empanadas place for God's sake. We're not yeah, like, we're having empanadas and some beers before we go to the awards. Right. We want to get a little loose. I mean, we got to present one of the awards. Which, which award are we presenting? 
I think I signed us up for, oh, geez, man. Now I don't remember. Editing? It was, I think you said editing. editing. Oh. Yeah, editing. So, and, and I got a darling in that category. So we'll see how it goes. Well, we always do some banter at the awards. We'll, we'll let the jawheads know how it goes on the next podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll write it at the empanada place. Sounds like a plan. Now, you brought up Megan and this bet that we had made at the box office. And this was actually the news I wanted to bring up um, before we get rolling with our reviews. So Megan came out very strong at the box office. It actually opened up to $30 million. And then the following weekend over uh, Martin Luther King holiday, it did $21 million. So it is hmm. it is doing really it's well cooking. for yeah. a budget of a $12 million horror film. It's, it's really well. I did want to highlight here, though. I just saw the news that Avatar actually passed spider-man no way from home what what was the name of that movie no, no way, way home. home you were close no yeah. way home mm-hmm. um it's at like 1.9 something billion now worldwide by the time the jawheads hear this it will be the sixth largest movie ever made and the first movie in the pandemic mm-hmm. era to cross the two billion dollar mark I think we got to stop using your the, thoughts the, on this, Matt. My your thoughts. thoughts on on I, we we almost kind of chuckled that it would have hit two billion, which is what James Cameron said it sort of needed to hit for you know the green light to go for the sequels. And now here we are; it's at two billion. Never bet against Jim James Cameron. Hmm. I will continue to bet against him because I still think that he's not the greatest filmmaker. He's he's the he's the most overrated filmmaker ever, ever. My thoughts on it. I'm glad it's a success. I'm glad it's found an audience. But a very wise film critic uh, once told me that the masses are asses. And I don't know how you can sit there on your high horse and poo poo the Marvel Universe, but champion this turd because all it is is a cartoon it should get an Oscar for, for the best animated feature, if any. This is far superior to most of the Marvel. Oh, God. Movies. It's the same thing. Far no, superior. Sure. Yeah. It's got another hundred million dollars in the budget. So the visual effects are pretty groundbreaking. I'll give them that. No doubt. But story wise, it's worse than most of the Marvel movies. I'm enjoying what James Cameron is, is giving us here with the Avatar films. So I was excited that it hit the 2 billion mark because I want to see Avatar 3, 4 and 5. Let's let's keep it going, I say. What, what I want to know is does Martin Scorsese consider it cinema? That's what I want to know. Mm. Can we get Marty on the phone for God's sake, Phil? Can can we throw that in the fish tank? Can you call up Scorsese and let us know? That might be difficult for Phil, but do look to see if Martin Scorsese has made any comments on Avatar. If you can see that in the news anywhere, Phil, I would be interested in that. So he does tweet. He does tweet. So maybe it's there. But on a final note on this. So if if Avatar 2, The Way of Water, now is the sixth biggest movie, James Cameron has three of the six biggest movies of all time, Avatar, Titanic, and Avatar 2 are all in the top six. I mean, that is very, very impressive. And these are not, these are not based on, you know, um, comic books or, um, you know, anything that would have already had an audience going in. So I think that even makes it that much more impressive that especially avatar, an original concept idea that he had, and that's the number one movie. Obviously this is a sequel to it. And then Titanic, like a historical drama slash disaster picture that, you know, 
became a sensation. Unbelievable that one director would have three of the top six movies of all time. Crazy. It's an achievement. I can't take that away from him. You know, that's all we got. We'll, we'll continue the Avatar 2 talk when it hits $3 billion, Matt. <laughs> you know, we probably <laughs> will, Ryan. We probably will. Uh, speaking of $3 billion, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it is Robert Duvall. He's only 92. I was joking about his age here, but it is Robert Duvall month here. Let's get a Robert Duvall fact in here. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this week, we're going to be talking about Tender Murphy's, Tender Mercies, I'm sorry, uh, the movie that uh, when Robert Duvall won his Oscar. Uh, we could talk Tender about Mercies. Tender Murphy's after the show, Phil. <laughs> yeah. And actually, this film is Dropkick Mercies. I apologize. That's what the Oscar was for. Uh, so I'm screwing up all over the place, but y- you live and you learn. Uh, <laughs> Tender Mercies. Uh, two of the songs in this film. Uh, the Fool's Waltz, and I've Decided to Leave Here Forever, were written by Robert Duvall. Uh, so he's not just uh, actually acting in it, but he in performing these songs, he wrote them himself, uh, and they were wow. featured in, uh, in tracks in the actual movie. So I didn't even know that Robert Duvall made music, to be honest. When those two tracks won the Oscar for Best Original Song, is he, it? No. He won, he won for Best Actor oh, in I Tender see. Mercies but he ended up writing two of the songs. And I, I believe he's saying even more in the movie, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yes. Hey man, there's a reason why Bobby Duvall has had the career that he has. The man is talented. You, you, you cannot say he's not talented. I looked up tender mercies. Cause obviously we're doing deep impact as a retro review. I looked up tender mercies to see if it was streaming on a service and it is not it's a blind spot for me. I, I doubt, Matt, you've seen Tender Mercies. First time I've even spoken <laughs> of the film. I, I am going to try to see it at some point. I wrote it down in my journal. So this one is on my radar now to... If, Bo, if Bobby Duvall won an Oscar for it, I, I, I'll take two hours and watch Tender Mercies. Well, to contrast that, Ryan, you know what I wrote down in my journal to rewatch today? Just popped into my head. Alita Battle Angel. I want to see that movie a second time. Produced and written by James Cameron. Well done, Matt. There you go. Full circle. (laughs) All right. We're kicking things off with uh, a movie that ties into a date that me and Matt actually had in October 2022. It was the opening of the Chicago International Film Festival. And Matt and I attended said festival, big block party out in front of the music box. The first film that night was a documentary by Steve James titled A Compassionate Spy. The second film was a horror movie titled Sick, written by Kevin Williamson, who created the Scream franchise. I planned to see both movies that night, but the whole event got started later than expected. And being a weeknight, I opted to skip out on Sick and be a responsible adult I got home at a normal hour. Finally, Sick is being released. And the good news is, Jawheads, it's streaming for free on Peacock if you have a subscription. Matt and I gave it a spin to see if it could capture some of the same slasher magic the Scream series has. Where's your mask? This isn't a vacation. It's a quarantine. A quarantine in style. Are you kidding me? This is incredible. 
sink. And it's all ours. The only neighbor is miles away. I thought you were spending quarantine alone. What are you doing here? I wanted to see you. And quarantine can be fun. Mary. Jump in, water's fine. Who is this? I don't know. That's creepy, Parker. Sick is set in the early days of the COVID pandemic. This was the movie's first scare. Thinking back to March and April of 2020 with store shelves picked clean, not knowing the severity of the situation, wiping down all store-bought goods. Ugh, the nightmares. The setting does serve a purpose in the story, and I will leave that thought there as it leads us into spoiler talk. After a scary opening sequence, we meet our two main characters, Parker and Mary, two college girls who decide to go to an isolated family cabin to get away from everyone in quarantine. However, once there, Parker receives a cryptic text message that has her on high alert. Turns out the girls are not alone. Judging this on the surface level, how does it do as a slasher film? I would say it's quite effective. The chase scenes are intense, and the film is accompanied by a simplistic score, but one that draws you in, waiting for the next jump scare. What was the film trying to say about COVID and quarantining in general? That gets a bit murky, but let's start with the easy stuff here. Matt, did you think Sick was a fun slasher? No. No, I did not. In fact, yeah, this is made by the, the the writer of Scream, and it's as if he took one of his early drafts and just said, yeah, this one looks good enough. Think about it. Starts off exactly the same. We have an opening sequence with a character we don't know who's introduced to the killer. The killer communicates through uh, but anonymously through a phone, right? And the killer dresses all in black and is armed with a hunting knife. The, the comparisons to Scream don't end there. Like all the attacks and jump scares straight out of the playbook in terms of it being a good slasher film. No, the kills are not very creative and, and, and it has an incredibly low body count. Um, the blood, the gore left a lot to be desired. What little of it we get is kind of humdrum boring the music, I agree. Yeah, it, it had some interesting moments. When the chase sequences happen and, and the violence is happening, I was kind of glued to the screen because um, I enjoyed that. But the, the inconsistency with the killer's strength levels, and a little bit of that gets explained at a certain point, but it still doesn't completely check out. There's, there's a lot of like really stupid, like, duh moments in this movie. And everything, and I mean everything, is so telegraphed that you will see every scare and every violent thing. You'll know who done it, like immediately. It was just a bad horror movie. I I, I disagree. I'm not going to say it's bad, 
Um, is this on the level of a scream? No, but I do want to start with the production of it. My takeaway on this anyways, was that this was probably made during the pandemic. It's a very small cast. It's in an isolated house. So this was probably made at a time where it was like, Hey, what can we do that doesn't involve a humongous crew, a large cast that's still thrilling, um, and something that we could put together. So, there's that, that doesn't earn it any points for me. There's I mean, that. You've seen that done better already at this point. And then two, I would actually say that the jump skiers, although I, I think you you're anticipating them, and that some of them may be predictable. That anticipation, uh, along with the score that I'm mentioning, had me definitely on edge, like a good slasher. Sh- film should be. I, I wasn't stunned. It didn't like surprise me in the sense of doing something so different that I would give it points there. But what it did do was get me at least sitting forward in my seat, excited to see exactly what happens and, and, and thrilled overall for the action sequences. I think if I had a problem with it was I didn't really care for any of the characters. Yeah, they're not terribly likable. Right? It's OK and, in horror, though. But usually you want to at least cheer for, you know, the final girl or the final guy, whoever the, the main character that's trying to avoid the the killer. Right. I guess I, I did not have that connection at all to any of the characters. Parker is the main character here, but either of the two girls, I didn't have that connection where I was really cheering for him like I would nev campbell and scream or so on and so forth right so for me i thought the letdown was the characters themselves weren't engaging enough yeah they were assholes that's what they were they were they were self-absorbed assholes and yeah man i just this movie didn't do it for me at all i mean not creative we we have a killer who's dressed in black there are some things here that's cool like it, it connects to Halloween a little bit with some of the stalking scenes and some of oh, like the, the stalking was okay. There, there's one shot in particular where uh, the girl Parker runs out of the house. The other girl is uh, wounded with like a, a bad lag and lane acting like she's dead on the ground. And, and the shot is the girl's like up against a tree and the camera sees the killer in the background. And you're wondering if the killer can see past the tree to see Parker I loved that. I, so there was some good stalking cinematography done here. There is. There is some good stalking, but it's been done before. Um, the things that I liked with the stalking is when you see the figure in the background, like move into spaces where the protagonists don't know yet what's going on. But once the shoe drops and it does drop pretty unsatisfactorily, really, um, it's pretty much nonstop action from there. Yes. There's still jump scares, but again, the killers just dressed in black jeans, a black hoodie and a mask, like a black, like a pandemic mask and boring. The hunting knife, boring. None of the kills are creative or cool. Like it's just, it's just an easy skip for me, man. So, so they tied this into the pandemic in, in Mm -hmm. a way that I didn't know if they were, trying to make a comment on COVID and quarantining, or they were just trying to be creative and, and thinking they, they came up with a way of creating a ser- serial killer in the COVID times and like 
his purpose or, or for doing the killings. <laughs> I, I was a little lost on exactly how I felt or if they were trying to comment on anything. Not that a movie has to. It can just be a slasher film. And I took it at the face value that this is just a slasher film with a slight tie in to COVID. Did you t- read more into it or no? Uh-uh. No, I didn't. I don't think there's anything more to be read. Maybe it's a slight commentary on on being uh, a self-absorbed Gen Zer. I, I guess are they Gen Z at this point? Those girls? I, I guess. Um, boy, we're getting old, right? Um, no, there's no subtext here. It's just a slasher film and a subpar one at that. If you if you're a fan of of true horror and slasher stuff, this is like middle of the road at best. It's PG thirteen. Is it really PG thirteen? You know, no? I don't know. Can we throw that in the fish tank, Phil? Because I bet it was. There's not a lot of gore. There's no nudity. There's no swearing. Really, I think there might be some swearing and and uh, drug and alcohol use. Maybe just alcohol. Mm. Anyway, yeah, boring, boring well, movie. While, while we're throwing something into the fish tank, like I was drawn in by this idea that uh, Kevin Williamson, you know, that's Scream, sure. creator of Scream. Yeah, but I shows. actually don't know what else he, he's done. Can we throw that in the fish tank? And I'm not talking about I need all his whole background, but if he did anything else notable, I have no idea. But this one, Matt seems not so high on. I, I would say a, a tad bit above average for me but Mm. uh how about a jaw-dropping moment or a highlight in the film um the antlers i can't spoil it um that was probably my favorite moment only because i don't know why i have a a, a weird fear of that whenever i see antlers i'm afraid i'm going to be impaled (laughs) well you're you're giving a hint away of what happened i mean if there's antlers (laughs) in a horror movie somebody's getting impaled you know i'm not saying there's an impalement so I had two. One was the opening scene. I know it's nothing revolutionary, but I, I thought pretty good. Anytime you think someone else is in the house with you and you're alone, drew me in pretty well. But the other one I, I think is a, a great scare and a great setup for a, a scene is obviously these these girls are at this cabin and there's a lake right behind the house. And at one point, one of the girls gets on a raft to try to go across the lake and she's by herself in the middle of the lake and the killer somehow gets out there. And now when you're on a raft in the middle of a lake, it really gets frightening. How realistic that was. Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked that is it's so far fetched. It almost makes zero sense. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so first of all, he swam in boots. Have you ever tried to swim in boots, Ryan? Never. Right. Boots, jeans, a hoodie all the way kept up with her. She had an oar. So she's <laughs> got to be. And, and and apparently he swam the entire way underwater because we don't see him. No, it's so dumb. It's but dumb. the scare, the, the, the scare was the, good. The scare was good. And like right before it, I remember thinking like, oh, it's never a good situation to be on a raft in, in the middle of a small lake. This is not a large lake. And I thought, oh, this is just terrible. But as That's soon as he jumped best, out of the water, that's it probably was the, the best, best thing. scare. Yeah. Right. But I'm glad you went there as I did. I just thought, like, how could have that possibly happened? There's no way that a guy could have swam underwater and kept up with a girl on a raft with an oar in, in full clothes and, and not been noticed. I mean, he was not seen anywhere. And all of a sudden he just jumps out of the water. What the hell's going on? Yeah, I guess he's Aquaman or something. 
Um, how about a movie poster quote? Uh, sick made me sick. Not in a good way. I went uh, bouncing this one off the fact that it's taking place during the pandemic. The cure isn't the only one wearing a mask. Well, that's pretty good, Ryan. How many jaws are you giving this thing? So I'm, I'm slight recommend two and a half jaws for Ryan the movie guy. It was kind of fun. Like, oh, look at how he comes around. No, I'm sudden, so right at the end. He's going to come around. I'm giving it one. And, I'm giving it one and a half jaws. This isn't a one jaw movie. It's, you know, whatever. I guess that that's like what Ryan enjoyed about it. I had a little bit of fun, but I wish I had more. So 1.5. Sick is streaming on Peacock. If you have the service, give it a spin. Let us know what you think. On to review number two, Matt. And all right. This is a Disney Plus movie. Indeed. Indeed. Strange world, Ryan. The animation world was buzzing with excitement when Disney's 61st feature film premiered at the El Capitan Theater in L.A. This film marked a major milestone for Walt Disney Animation Studios as it featured their first openly LGBTQ lead character. While critics praised the film for its animation and visuals and voice acting, they were less impressed with the screenplay. Unfortunately, Strange World was a major flop at the box office, with estimates projecting a staggering $147 million loss for Disney. But in a bit of a twist, the film found new life on Disney Plus and became the number one movie on the platform for a short period. So what's the deal? Is Strange World a fun family sci-fi adventure, or is this better left off your queue to make room for even stranger things? Ryan and I fired up the mouse machine to find out. Do you mind if I call you Splat? You just kind of give me Splat vibes. <laughs> Ow! I guess I deserve that. Grandpa's awesome! He is not awesome! You gave me a machete for my birthday? <laughs> Classic Jaeger claimed. <laughs> I was too. I'm loving this family reunion, but come on, we got a world to save. We need you to figure this out, otherwise we're doomed. We are doomed! Wait, seriously? <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Here's the plot. Avalonia is surrounded by impenetrable, impenetrable mountains, but super adventurer Jaeger Clade and his son Searcher are determined to cross them, convinced that Avalonia's future lay beyond. When the pair make a discovery of a plant that could change the world, father and son are suddenly at odds. Jaeger wants to continue his mission while Searcher feels abandoned and returns to Avalonia where he changes the world. Fast forward a few years and now Searcher is a farmer and a father in his own right. When a new threat draws the Clade family back together and back into the wilds, they encounter a strange landscape and wonderful creatures and must fight for the survival of the entire planet. That's the plot, right? The critics I mentioned before are absolutely right. The visuals are fantastic with deep, colorful scenes that border on candy-like. The voice acting is top-notch with the likes of Jake Gyllenhaal as Searcher, Dennis Quaid as Jaeger, the father, Lucy Liu as Callisto Mal, who's the president of Avalonia, among others. But the plot is a little too predictable and saccharine. There are moments here of pure enjoyment and wonder, but sadly, the fluff drags it down. What did you think, Ryan? So 
With the weak story, I'm able to look past that and enjoy the funky animation and imaginative world and come away with a rather positive take on Strange World. <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, my expectations were lowered by all the critics already seeing this because we did not review this when it came out into the yeah, theater. It really flopped. Right. So this was one of those, um, you know, behind the scenes, I'm the one that's always trying to figure out what movies we're going to review on the show. Yeah. And this was in the running for a while. Oh, we're going to talk about strange world. And then we didn't. And then I thought maybe we will. And then all the reviews sort of came out and nobody was going to see the movie. It just sort of like disappeared. And I thought, ah, forget it. It's just a waste. You know, we'll never see this. But you're right. It found new life on Disney+. Plus. People started talking about it. It was actually my brother who had saw the movie. And he's like, you review this on Cinema John? What'd you give it? I'm like, no, I haven't seen it. He's like, it's worth a spin just for the animation alone, he said. That's true. And, and I'm right with him on this. I mean, um, I, I joked. I think this movie was made for uh, stoners with kids because both... <laughs> Both yeah. parties there would absolutely love this movie. If you're high as a kite and you're watching this movie, you're going to love it. And if you got kids, they're going to love it for the animation. So stoners with kids get on this movie right away. But um, the, the story is weak and it's rather fluff. Um, but some of the ideas presented in the uh, world, I thought were fantastic. I did too. So I, there I'm going to just going to say this is my jaw dropping moment, too. But there's a scene where Searcher finally makes it to the other side of the mountains. And boy, spoiler alert. Well, a Disney movie is not like, oh, my God, we're going to spoil this movie. So I'm even going to go a little bit further. But it, he gets to the other side of the mountain and it turns out that th these aren't just mountains, that th this. Whole thing is alive around him. I I love that moment i didn't and see I, the twist coming i didn't either did i i really didn't either and so i was like oh this is really interesting um and and i liked all the odes to uh, you know indiana jones and other explorer movies uh every time a ship sort of like took off or landed or there was an ending sort of like moment like a, a moment to breathe after an action sequence it had a very uh indiana jones or 80s adventure feel of all right, on to the next thing uh, that we don't have anymore. These movies nowadays, we move so fast on to the next thing, on to the next one. This one gave that like moment of like, wow, that was something. And there was a little bit of music and a moment where the, the ship, you know, moved off and, and started to fly away. And it gave us that, you know, breather of a moment. Yeah. yeah character I loved it. Yeah. Had some episodic nature to it. Yeah. Those, those things I enjoyed too. It was it was it was great. Uh, the voice work by Jake Gyllenhaal, who plays Searcher. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Dennis Quaid. Great. I even like Lucy Liu a lot here. Yeah. Did I mention Lucy Liu? Yeah, I did. Callisto Mao. Yeah. Excellent. So I thought the voice work overall was great. So I, I was, I guess, pleasantly surprised. But I think that is partly because I went in with so, such low expectations. What do you think was wrong with the story, we both kind of mentioned this fluff and I don't necessarily mean that the plot is overstuffed. That's not the kind of fluff. I mean, I just think it was a little too sappy in certain areas. Yeah. I, I think some of it stems with the father son relationship. I think we've seen this a lot 
where the father has his mind set up that he's going to do A, and the son says, well, we don't necessarily have to get to A. We can compromise and, and get to B. And the father is set, dead set on his goal. And then the family comes apart and we know it's going to come together at the end. In a lot of ways, it's kind of Mitchell's and the machines, which we just saw, but it worked a lot better in Mitchell's and the machines than it did here. And I think we've seen it numerous times where the parent or the guardian or you know, the person that the, the child is looking up to is hell bent on doing one thing, thinking that's what is in best interest of the family. When in fact, the family or the kid or whoever doesn't want it. In this case, Searcher doesn't necessarily want Searcher. And then see. later his, his own son, he, he right. goes ahead and repeats the pattern. Exactly. And so I think we have seen that enough before where it was like a, a, a bit dull or, you know, like boring to a degree. It didn't really expand on anything there. All right. Another thing I want to touch on is the character of Ethan um, being the first gay character in a Disney film after 61 films. That's crazy to me, but I mean, whatever they're they're getting to it. It didn't come across to me and it could have easily as tokenism. It came across as pretty sincere. He's he's a he's a gay character, but that is not even close to the most important thing about him or right. really doesn't really inform the plot of the movie much 100%. at all. And that's what I liked so much about it. Here's the moment I thought was was the best uh, in regards to that was uh, Ethan uh, has been. I don't think Ethan at this point had ever met his grandfather, which would be Searcher's dad. Um, Jaeger. Jaeger. So now they're in this uh, strange world. And for the first time, at least I think it's the first time that Ethan would have met Jaeger and they're together. And Jaeger says to Ethan, so are you in love or something along those lines? They're going to have a special someone. Yeah. Is there a special someone? And Ethan starts to describe the special someone and is, is clearly saying him, he, his, and, and, I'm waiting for at that point Jaeger to be like, wait, what? Like, you know, the old guy stunned that his grandson's, you know, in love with another guy doesn't even flinch, right? He he hears it and it's almost and I thought that was the best way to do this. Was I had the not same to have thought. him be shocked. Just yeah. just go with it. Just he 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 says all this, and then the the older adventurer guy's like, this is what you got to do to get him to love you. And, and he gives him advice, love advice that he has, and it's silly advice coming from Jaeger, but he gives his advice and it, it's like, it's just not even a big deal. And that's how it should be, right? That's how it should be all encompassing. And what does it matter who he's in love with? You know, he, she, yeah. they, it doesn't matter. So it was great. I thought they handled it perfectly. Yeah. Could have been cringy, but I, I agree. It wasn't. They did it pretty well. Yeah. So I, I, I had like no issue with uh, like really any of the, I, I don't even know if you would call that subtext because you're right. It really doesn't come into play in, in anywhere in the plot. Right. You know what, you know what it is. I think, I think I just figured it out. I hate to say this because Gyllenhaal puts in a decent performance as searcher, but the character of searcher is a little boring and flat. 
And he would have been the connective tissue between the grandfather and the son and the whole cycle story. And it just, he didn't work as a character too well. And I think that's where this movie falls down. But what about a jaw dropping moment? So mine was the discovery that the mountains and the land that they are on is not necessarily is something more. And what they thought one thing was helping might actually be not helping the twist, if you will. I I loved it from that moment on. Was was it a twist or a reveal, Ryan, please? That one was a twist. That's really, a twist. I would consider that a reveal. <laughs> that was a twist. The other, this isn't jaw dropping, but a, a highlight that I did want to mention, uh, writ- written down here in my notes, was the beginning when they're talking about the the families of uh, the explorers that they uh, come from. There was that fun, like old school animation yeah, use. That was, that was pretty cool. That was a real nice touch, I, and it got me in in the mood for strange world right from the beginning. So I thought the opening moments of the movie were, was a real highlight. Yeah. How about you? Um, my jaw drop is when the pilot is eaten. They, they first get into this um, strange world and they are attacked by these sort of wyvern like creatures. These, these um, I don't know, sort of reptilian monsters with these, these uh, pelican like beaks, almost prehistoric, but, in a strange world. <laughs> yes, right. And they crash through the windscreen of their airship and unceremon- unceremoniously eat the pilot. And they never speak of it. They ne- the characters never address the fact that they've lost one of their own. Like, who was that guy? Did he matter to anybody? Like, is anybody mourning him? Don't think so. But that was pretty uh, pretty gnarly to see in a, in a family kids movie. Like, somebody what? just got eaten. What? And that that moment is actually um, notable for another reason, because the searcher's wife comes to the rescue uh, in that scene, sort of lands this runaway uh, ship at the moment. I thought that action sequence was was excellent. So it was pretty good. It it was like a thrilling action sequence inside an animated movie, much like um, I love the Incredibles, like the action sequences in, in there where it's like. Yes, it's animation, but you got to give props sometimes to just a well-told and choreographed action sequence. And I thought that one was stellar. Yeah, kind of reminded me of uh, um, Return of, not Return of, Empire Strikes Back, where they're hiding on the uh, the asteroid, and it turns out that they're inside of that that monster, and the jaws are closing. Right. Similar. Similar. Movie poster quote: "There's a new strange thing to stream on Disney Plus." Not bad, man. I went with the ode to great adventure films was my kind of strange. How many jaws, right? This could shock you, Matt. I'm going a solid three jaws for Strange wow. World. Solid three jaws. Solid three. I will go with a solid two and a half. All right. A solid that's two and a recommend. half. That's a, that's a slight recommend. This is a fun movie. I think, like you said, stoners with kids. You nailed it, Ryan. That That's who the audience is for this. I was hoping that you watched this with your kids, but the family did not get behind this one, Matt. No, it's their take. Yeah, it, it's it can be rough to get everybody to sit down and agree to the same movie. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it just didn't happen. All right. Well, Strange World is streaming on Disney Plus. Two and a half jaws for Matt K. Three jaws for Rye the Movie Guy. We are recommending this one. So if you got time, check it out and let us know what you think. Shoot us a tweet. We are at Cinema Jaw. 
we are going to take a break. We still got two movies to review. Plus, we have to open up the fish tank when we come back. Stick with us. So, Brayton Robert Duvall this month. He is 92 years old and still working. Absolutely fantastic. As he gets older, some of his roles here have been in smaller supporting roles. I think if you go back to 2014, the movie The Judge has Robert Duvall's last great meaty role. It's Robert Duvall and Robert Downey Jr. Duvall plays a judge and Downey Jr. plays his son and lawyer in the movie. Here is a snippet. How do you explain that lapse in judgment? I looked at him and saw you. Same willful disobedience, same recklessness. I looked at him and saw my middle son, my little boy. I watched him cry right there. I wanted to put my arms around him and tell him it didn't have to be like this. I wanted someone to help him, like I'd want someone to help my boy. If he lost his way. It was my chance to be That's someone. Is that so much to ask? Maybe so. Maybe so. I have memories. Cinema Jaws brought to you by the guys over at Cracking the Code of Spy Movies podcast. If you're into spy movies and you're into podcasts, you should definitely listen to this one. Then you know what? I'll let them tell you about it. You love spy movies? Well, our show is all about spy movies from the classics like The 39 Steps, The Ipcris File, to James Bond, Mission Impossible, and current releases like No Time to Die. This is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Just go to your favorite podcast app and search Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Do the same on YouTube. Our show decodes key scenes, dives into connections and influences from other movies, does interviews with actors and directors, and keeps you informed with our spy movie news segment, all while having fun. Podcasts and YouTube videos. Join us on Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. And we are back on Cinema Jaw. We still have reviews of The Menu and a retro review of Deep impact coming up and a, a big $10 bet. Matt K stuck the Kabinsky. Well, it's a $20 um, bet. It's a double. You're nothing. right. It is a yeah. $20 bet at this point. Before we get there, though, we threw a few items into the fish tank. And let me tell you, Jawheads, I am upset with Phil. I asked them to watch Strange World on Disney Plus, in house animated expert, missed it, didn't watch Strange World. So, hell, let's open up the fish tank. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a Sicilian message. It means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're going to need a bigger boat. Thank you so much. Uh, I do. I am coming out of the fish tank with um, 
my my fish tail between my legs at this moment in time. Fish don't have legs, uh, Phil. Sorry. I do. Oh, well, that's true, <laughs> I guess. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, my tail is somewhere, and now I don't even know where to put it because I'm being accosted by both my parents, and that's okay. Uh... <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, here's what I will say. And I think the dry heads will back me up on this. I'm 99% sure I've said this on this show before that Ryan is the responsible one of this show. Matt and I are the going to forget ones of this show. Uh, and at, at this point, I mean, Ryan, we've been friends for six years. This is just as much on you. Mm. Should have texted Phil. Much like I have to text Matt multiple times throughout the week, I should you text, have texted Phil. You, you only have to text me once. Because I told you, what did I say in the text, Bill? Write this down or save the text. <laughs> yeah, but that part was unnecessary. <laughs> I always do that. You, never mind. This is too I behind know. the scenes. For the record, I would have benefited from that, but I didn't even make the text message, Matt. Oh, man. See, what you should do is text Matt to text me, because then Matt will remember, or text me to text Matt, or just... I don't know. I don't know. Having things Maybe in writing just... helps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, that being said, what isn't in writing and does have me, I never remember if chuffed or chaffed is the one for angry, but whichever one it is, if I'm chuffed, I'm chuffed. If I'm chaffed, I'm chaffed. We don't have any confirmation or any hearsay about what Martin Scorsese thinks about Avatar 2. As far as I could tell, there is no tweet no interview, no statement further expanding why the film industry is a heaping pile and no one knows as much as Martin Scorsese as Martin Scorsese, other than like an interview a week and a half ago about the state of the film industry. And that was really more slam dunking on Rotten Tomatoes than his popcorn vendetta. <clears throat> Living your popcorn learn. vendetta. That's that's good. I like that turn of phrase. It's gonna be Marty's next movie. Probably. Uh, and I'm not going to get credit for it, but that's fine. You heard it here, we folks. It you heard it here first. We all first. knew what happened. Yeah. Uh, what was the MP MPAA rating on Sick? And has Kevin Williamson done anything other than Scream and Sick? Uh, sick is rated R. Uh, maybe we're all just becoming softies. And our, our bars for what's like not for kids is changing, uh, but is rated R. I, I would say on that note, some of the chase scenes when the intruder is in the house with the girls is kind of violent. It's not um, movie violent as it's almost realistic violence. Um, they get thrown to the floor. So maybe that's an R because there's some, of that. There's some violence for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a horror movie. Yep. That's probably where it got it. Yeah. Um, the, the Kevin Williamson angle of this question uh, actually, dude's actually pretty prolific. Uh, maybe not everything in my taste, but has a lot of cool stuff. What you did last summer was written by Kevin Williamson. Oh, Robert okay. Rodriguez is the faculty uh, written by mm. Kevin Williamson. Sure. Uh, a couple of surprising TV shows. Uh, Dawson's Creek was created by Kevin Williamson. Actually, that, right. that tracks. That tracks. Keep going. Yep. Uh, sim of similar ilk. Vampire Diaries. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, hiding in plain sight, I think just, I don't know, maybe a little too focused on teenagers, but that's fine. 
is mm. it, well hey man he, he he's carved out a niche for himself you know i mean he he seems to write uh that that genre very well so there you go good job kevin was that everything phil that's all we got jump back in that fish tank you bet Last week on this podcast, Matt, I named Ray Fiennes as one of my favorite performances in 2022 in the film The Menu. He plays chef, the intense and meticulous chef at an exclusive restaurant located on a private island. The guests must take a boat over and then are treated to several courses of fine dining. However, right from the start of the film, we can tell there is more going on here than a nice dinner. Matt and I had reservations at HBO where we savored the latest treat from Mark Mylod. Good evening. Welcome to Hawthorne. It'll be our pleasure to feed you. Tonight will be magical. Over the next few hours, you will ingest fat, salt, protein, and at times, entire ecosystems. We're eating the ocean. We're eating the ocean. Are you crying? <laughs> it's just I find it all very moving. So it's okay that I'm not as into this as you are. Oh my god. You shouldn't be here tonight. Dark comedies making fun of the rich and snooty were in fashion in 2022. We had Triangle and my favorite, The Menu. In the film, a group of guests gather at an exclusive restaurant for what they are hoping is the meal of their lives. Before they are seated, they get a quick tour of the facility where they learn that the staff of the restaurant actually lives on the premise as well. In addition, they catch a lot of the seafood off the shores of the island. Intense dining? Sure. But it gets more intense when chef Rafe Fines comes on screen. He explains each dish before it is served, and the movie then gives us a title card as well, which I just loved. Not knowing where the film is going is part of the joy. I will say there is a death involved, Knives are used and more than for just cutting food and things get darker and more twisted with each dish. I found the menu to be the perfect balance of dark humor and fanatical filmmaking. The cast also includes Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, and John Ligazamo, all playing great characters. Now, Matt, I know you are more of a hot dog and PBR kind of guy, but did you have fun with the menu? Uh, okay. Here's, here's the thing. I think this is a case of the menu was, was way overhyped for me, especially by you. I blame you, Ry the movie guy. Rafe finds is one of my favorites. I love the guy. I mean, he's Voldemort. How can you not love him? But this was not one of the best performances of the year. <laughs> How wrong you are. I, I, I don't know, man. I don't think so. Um, I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. I can see how this would make an excellent stage adaptation. Like this was a kind of a one room setting for the most part. Even when they do get to another room, it turns out to be the same room, which was freaking hilarious. In fact, 
this is not a, a horror movie at all. This is a comedy. There is nothing about this that is a horror movie. It should not be in the horror category. It's got some violence. It's got some um, shocking moments, but it's a comedy for the most part. I would say it's 95% comedy. But uh, yeah, I had fun with the menu. I enjoyed it. That's 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 where I'll leave it. It was it was okay. I wouldn't ask for seconds. Wow. I I think maybe you were thinking you were going into a straight up horror film, and maybe that's the letdown that it was more well, some, on the comedy side. Someone than, I know than you actually thought it was going to be like you know killer dishes and and chefs running around with with pots and pans. That's not what I thought it was going to be, but. I, I will say, like, I didn't understand what the mystery would be. So they've done a very good job in that. Um, but somebody I know compared it to, to Midsummer, and that was me. Yeah. Duh. It's just <laughs> nothing like Midsummer at all. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 no, I, I said this no. was Ratatouille meets Midsommar. <laughs> it's it's there's nothing unsettling or disturbing about the movie. It, it's it's a farce. At the end, you realize it is a farce. It is. Right. But I think where I'm coming with the, the Midsommar angle is that when, when the guests first arrive on the island, yeah, is, is this a cult? Like when, when the staff is showing the guests around saying this is where they live, oh, that house over there, that's where Chef lives. I, I, when I was watching this, I had no clue. Is this going to get really dark in that like cult kind of sense or was it going to stay with the dark humor? And I thought it didn't play its card right away in the early parts of the movie. I think you're supposed to have the vibe that they may be walking into a cult. At least I had that as a viewer. I did too. I was waiting for the uh, other shoe to drop, not to use that term twice in one podcast, but it never does because it, it while, like I said, there are a couple of moments, one involving a gun and another involving a rope, not to make it too clue like, um, that were pretty shocking, borderline disturbing, depending on you know what your triggers are. I didn't walk away from this movie feeling haunted or anything like that. It was just a laugh. It was it was like a laugh at the end of the day. So Nicholas Holt's character plays a, a guy who is infatuated with the chef and the restaurant, and he's total foodie, excited about it. So no matter what is thrown his way, He's just excited for the meal and the experience. I yeah. loved him. He was hysterical. Every, every moment, for, for instance, there is a dish that chef serves that's basically called the bread dish without the bread. Yeah. And there's no bread. And it's called no can, bread, I believe. <laughs> yeah. It's called no bread. And he basically gives you a bread dish uh, with a missing loaf of bread. And then what you would put on as spreads for the bread is all that's on the dish. And obviously he's, he himself in this dish is sort of, you know, putting up a middle finger to these guests in a, in a, in a way, but yet Nicholas Holt's character doesn't see it that way at all. Right. He's, he's putting his finger in those little uh, spreads that are on the dish. And he's like, this is incredible. I love this. What a, what a masterful dish this is. Yeah. And there's a, there's a shot at, uh, at critics in this as well, where uh, the, the critic who's, who's there, she, she kind of made this chef's career. Who's that actress? We'd have to throw it in the late fish tank. I did not write it down. Okay. Um, she's like, oh, this emulsion is split, you know, and 
Uh, this does not go unnoticed by the chef nor his staff. So yeah. And there's a few callbacks to it. it there's, I think this is one of the better comedies of the year. It's, it's definitely a dark, dark comedy, but it's funny as hell. It, it was very funny. I, I do think they, they left it intriguing enough where Anya Taylor Joy's character is not supposed to be on the guest list. She was a late entry of Nicholas Holt's uh, date. His original date couldn't make it. And she comes. And this right away is disturbing to Chef, who is so meticulous. He knows everything that's supposed to happen that night. And when all of a sudden someone shows up to this uh, evening that wasn't technically on the guest list prior to, it sort of raises suspicions for Chef and the staff. That, I think, is the intrigue of what's going on exactly here at this restaurant. Yes, it's more or less played for laughs, but those early moments is that intriguing of, is there something more sinister going on than, you know, is being right. shown to us? By the time the end comes and you realize that's all there is, it is a little unsatisfying, even though it was funny. It was very funny. I think they had no cards left to play, so they just went totally over the top with the ending. I, I loved the ending. It's, I didn't. It's, I didn't think it was over the top. No, I thought it movie, was just, just kind of like wild, but not over the top. How can you say it wasn't over the top, Ryan? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't over the top. Oh no! I've listen, I like the ending. Wilder stuff. It's over the top. So the, the, the film starts off as this creeping dread. Uh, is this a cult? What, what's up with this menu? A, as it progresses and, and, the, and the things start to happen, it, it just keeps ramping up, ramping up until there's nowhere left to go, but pure, like straight up farce and, and silliness. It's, it's, it is over the top because that would never happen. Even in the context of the world that they had set up for the previous two hours, it was too much. It was, it, it went to a place that could never really go. It didn't make sense anymore. It was just a joke at that point. Well, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I did want to ask, had you been out to fine dining experiences where you get multiple courses like this? Not on I, an island, but where, where you, you might get like 13 courses. Listen, I didn't want to, I didn't want to like name names on the podcast. Okay. I was thinking about this a lot. Um, it reminded me of an experience I had at coconuts. Okay. And it was a, a place that should not have been fine dining, but was kind of the proverbial square peg forced into a round hole. And I had to suffer through these tastings where there was like a moose bouche and really, really highfalutin, high concept stuff that they were just doing with like a panini press and like the limited equipment they could fit into this small space. And everybody's like, like, you know, garnishing them with, with uh, hibiscus flowers and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, what? It's bootleggers, you guys. What right. are we doing? What are we that, doing? That's, that's like a fake tasting, right? Where, where they're just trying, like you all said, right. do as much but as they can all with fake. the panini that's, press. That's the point. They're all fake. This right. go on. I, didn't I was gonna up. no. I was gonna say. I mean, there there is a, a a part of it that is a lot of is presentation and pretentious. No doubt, but there is a talent. Um, Absolutely. I think, 
Right. I mean, Nicholas Holt's character, when he's talking about um, chef and all the things that that he knows exactly, you know, when to serve something, how ripe something should be. Um, there is a truth to all that. And I, I, I don't want to say I ever got into like expert, you know, dining fields, but I have gone out numerous times for these kind of like major courses where you pay like uh, a large sum and then you get, you know, maybe 12 course meal and the chef explains, you know, how to eat it, like eat this first, then try this. Cause these two things, you know, when they hit your, your taste buds will give you a sensation that'll knock your socks off better have rubber bands on those socks. Cause they're going to come right off. Um, is that what the but, chef said? <laughs> yeah, that's what the chef said, but and, it, and it's wonderful. And, and, and it's in that kind of closed in dining room where everybody's there at the same time. Like it's a seating in one room. And what I remember actually most about it was then getting along with the other guests in the, the experience, because, um, a, a guy came over, I remember it to the table one time and actually, uh, poured some of his wine to us because he was like, you got to have this with, you know, a Pinot Noir. It goes so great with this next dish, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Oh, I, that whole experience. It was very, I mean, it's unique. I would like to do it, but. Yeah. And I did not mean to disparage the culinary arts. Of course, of course, that is a legitimate art form. And I do respect it quite a bit. We live in Chicago, man. And we got, Wolfgang Puck and uh, Bayless and uh, Stephanie Izard. And this is a, this is a food town. There, there's one I went to. It's it, it got, I think two Michelin stars and it's a brewery. It's called Moody tongue. Interesting. After we get done recording this, maybe we'll go over there. You would love it. It's not so pretentious. It's a brewery, but it is fine dining and excellent. Um, highly recommend. All right. How about a jaw dropping moment here, Matt? You know, I poo-pooed this a little, but I'm going to go with the marshmallow jackets. Um, that was the moment I was like, oh, we're going there, huh? And obviously, you know what's about to happen when when the marshmallow jackets come out. So mm. that was a great scene, and, and it did drop my jaw. There we go. Mine was Taco Tuesday. Oh, that was also really good. Chef, chef gives this great story. Number one, chef's mom is in the restaurant the whole time drunk, which is hysterical. You think something's going to happen with, with the older lady in the corner. Turns out it's chef's mom. She's drunk on, on some wine. She's sitting over there. And then chef introduces the next dish as Taco Tuesday. And then it turns sinister as he tells this story of his father abusing his mom when he was a kid and he had to fight off his father. That that story and then the presentation of Taco Tuesday to the table was so delightful. I loved it. Yeah, that's kind of where the where the turn comes for sure. That's a good part of the movie. How about my a quote? Movie, my movie poster quote was dinner in a movie? Mm, eat before watching this one. Hmm. Uh, actually made me hungry. Mine is the menu now to go. Because it's on streaming now. It's on HBO Max. How many Jaws, Matt K? Three Jaws. This okay. is a, it's a good movie. It was just positioned wrong and it was overhyped to me. I do not think Ray Fiennes has one of the, the, the best performances of the year, although it was, it was good. It was fine. It's um, unique. It's very unique. Yeah, sure. It was pretty good. Pretty darn Three good. Three and a half Jaws for Rye the Movie Guy. The Menu, streaming on HBO Max. Check it out, Jawheads. 
One review to go. It is Robert Duvall month. How about a retro review, Matt K? How about it, Ryan? Almost 25 years ago. Oh, my God. The movie Deep Impact debuted in theaters the same summer as Armageddon, which has a very similar premise. A comet is on the collision course with Earth. And if it makes impact, deep impact, apparently, it will cause an extinction, an extinction level event. Can the humans under the American leadership of Morgan Freeman stop the comet? Can Robert Duvall be cast in anything without a tragic backstory? Do the special effects hold up after 25 years? Ryan and I strapped ourselves to a bottle rocket to find out. Are we on? Are we on? We're on, Mr. President. A few minutes ago, the United States ambassadors to every country in the world told the leaders of those nations what I'm about to tell you. Comets are still headed for Earth. Now, we've been planning for the worst, so I hope you'll bear with me and listen to what I have to say. Deep Impact debuted at the North American box office with 41 million in ticket sales. It managed to cross over Twister, scoring the 10th highest opening weekend of all time. For a decade, the film held that record, having the biggest opening weekend for a female-directed film until it was taken by Twilight in 2008. Despite competition in the summer of 1998 for, as I mentioned, the similar Armageddon, both films were widely successful, with Deep Impact being the higher opener of the two, but Armageddon being the more profitable. The origins of Deep Impact started in the late 70s, Ryan, when producers Richard Zanuck and David Brown approached Paramount Pictures, proposing a remake of the 51 film When Worlds Collide. I did not know this. Although several screenplay drafts were completed, the producers were not completely happy with any of them, and the project remained in development hell for years. In the 90s, they approached Steven Spielberg. However, Steven had already bought the rights to a film from the 1993 novel The Hammer of God by Arthur C. Clarke, which, again, very similar premise of an asteroid on a collision course, course for Earth. And he was going to produce The Hammer of God and... They basically wanted to team up with him. So he couldn't direct the movie because he was busy making Amistad. So the directing reins were passed over to Mimi Letter. Uh, and Spielberg stayed on as the executive producer. Interesting. Yeah. So watching this film again after 25 years, it is remarkable how well it holds up. I mean, the plot is good. And the execution was always kind of garbage, but there's a lot to like here. The performances from the cast are pretty darn good with some standouts being Elijah Wood and his would-be bride played, played by Lily Sobieski. I would also give a nod to the small Duval role, but just a, an acknowledgement, Ryan, because the astronauts are wooden one-dimensional stereotypes with no character arcs. It also might be fair to call Tia Leone the main character here, and this is definitely not her best performance. Believe it or not, where this movie still does shine quite brightly is the special effects. I was so ready to laugh, but after 25 years, with very little exception, 
the mega tsunami scene holds up fantastically on the micro and the macro scales. Easily the best moment of the film. I would have to say I prefer Deep Impact to Armageddon. Both films are more or less garbage, but fun sci-fi fluff, which is a good thing now and then. But man, we got to talk about that title because it is awful. Ryan, what do you think about that title? Well, before I say the title, just to clarify, you're you're saying that you like Deep Impact more than Armageddon. Correct. Okay. I, I did not know that you were a Deep Impact fan. I didn't know either. I mean, <laughs> I'm shocked. I didn't and think I liked the either title, of them. I, I'm okay with Deep Impact. Um, it, it It's fine. It, it's stupid. It's fine. It's, it's not just an impact, it's deep impact. I, I have a bone to pick with you because I have in my notes laughable how bad the effects were. This oh, I really? Wrote. I was looking for the edges. 100%. The First thing I have at the top of my little notepad, laughable how, how bad the effects are. And I, I thought to myself, huh. wow, we must have watched this in, in 98 or you know, um, even the early 2000s when people caught it on cable and like, you got to see this movie. They wipe out all of New York with a tidal wave. And then I'm watching it and I'm like, this is absolute garbage. I can't believe people were excited to see this. It's, it's terrible. I mean, the water yeah. effects where I thought they were the absolute worst is the scene where Elijah Wood I'm getting ahead of myself because no, I, I, have I this know is, exactly what you're talking about. That is probably have, this is the worst moment in the film for multiple reasons. When they're in a, the high ground and you see the yes. water coming over. Yeah, that was pretty bad. They just had the speed of it all wrong. It looks awful. It looks um, like TV. what they did back in right, like the early like 70s and in, in TV when they were trying to do like a, uh, those giant ants or whatever. Um, it just looked that off on scale. It looked off. But not only that, I'm talking about the idea that Elijah Wood and his uh, bride <laughs> survive because they got on a dirt bike and went up a mountain. And that's how you survive a flood, Ryan. Turn, that, che- that checks out. But thousands of people are standing below like, yeah, man, I don't know what we can do to get away from this water. Like, at that's least true. People, running pe- up the hill. People are running up the hill. But, uh, you know, like you have to imagine he went a few miles on the dirt bike. I guess the whole that whole scene I thought was handled inappropriately. It just seemed rushed and like unbelievable that more people wouldn't have started to go towards the high ground um, in the traffic jam on the highway. It just seemed kind of goofy. And then they get on a bike and these people survive. I I don't know. I didn't like any of that. But uh, the next point that you made about the astronauts being very wooden. And this is, you know, we're doing this for Robert Duvall. I couldn't even remember that he was in the movie originally to be he was 100% okay. honest. He he was pretty solid. You're right. It's 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 kind of corny that they're they're so wooden. And I think the fault of the movie is that it's trying to get the entire scope of what would be happening on at least in the United States. It doesn't go quite to the world, but what would be happening from the perspective of the press, the president of the United States, um, you know. Would people be killing themselves? Would there be rioting all the way to how are we trying to blow up the asteroid? It's covering too big of a surf, uh, a spectrum of, of what would be happening. Armageddon didn't go with all of that. It really concentrated on the guys who the were, were going to drill in the mission, and that's it. Keep it simple, right to the point. This scope of this movie is just too large, and the result is some of the storylines are just kind of hokey. Um, but I did... 
I did have a, a joy watching the thing again. I would recommend if you haven't seen it to watch it. A, no social media back then. So when we find out that the asteroid is coming to Earth, it's all the, like the, the press room, you know, um, and and the craziness of of like the New York Times or whatever the newspaper or where it was they're at. MSNBC, when, CNN said no. They were they originally approached to be in this, and they said no thanks. So MSNBC, which was relatively new at the time, jumped at the opportunity. So, so we get the scene of them watching like the president of the United States and then the chaos that would, would take place. Um, another extremely <laughs> got, laughable scene I, for you. I got, I got something laughable. Go ahead. If you, you got it in. I got one here. This one is hilarious. So here you have the president of the United States coming on the television to explain that an asteroid is going to wipe out our planet. And they cut to the scene where thousands of people are watching it in Times Square on a big screen. And they're just silent. Like they're, they're in church. <laughs> like It would be pure chaos. Oh, if absolutely. All of a sudden he came on and said, I got bad news for you. We're going to get wiped out by an asteroid. But instead they cut to these people and they're all just like, Oh man. I had plans on Sunday too. Well, better cancel those. Jesus, what were they thinking? You know, I mean, they were yeah. just standing around silent in, in they, Times Square. They do show some stock footage of uh, some really, uh, really tame riots, but it doesn't seem to be happening for the most part in America. Um, yeah. The president comes on, addresses the nation and lets them know that the first part of the plan which seemed to have the biggest hope riding on it. They named this rocket ship the Messiah. So the Messiah has failed to deliver them from from this uh, comet. And then it cuts to Tia Leone having a a walk with her mom on the National Mall. You know, they're in Washington, D.C. And you see people jogging in the background. (laughs) Like humanity is going to be destroyed in, uh, you know, a couple of weeks or so. And I'm going for a jog. I mean, I guess maybe if you really like jogging, but I would think that people just wouldn't be that placid for sure. And, well, the other thing is, so the Messiah, the idea is more or less same premise as uh, Armageddon is that these astronauts are going to go to the asteroid, drill into it, and then put a nuclear bomb in and blow the asteroid up. But the Messiah screws up so bad, it actually screws the planet Earth because they they what they do is they actually blow off a second chunk of the asteroid. And now we have two asteroids headed towards earth and we can't stop both of them. So they really screwed us. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's John Favreau's fault. Really? <laughs> oh yes. John Favreau and his death is hysterical in this movie. <laughs> it, it really was. It so, really was. Again, ah! to, again, to the special effects, all of the moment when they're actually on the asteroid is just, terrible i mean it it is just really aged uh, very, very poorly. i think the cg was pretty darn good i really enjoyed the uh the, the armageddon scene when the wave comes thought it looked great so so the other part uh issue that i had with i guess just the thought process of the astronauts is all right so they go up there they blow off a chunk of the asteroid now we got two asteroids hurling towards earth and then it it isn't until the last 10 minutes of the movie that robert duvall thinks wait a minute, we still got a bomb on the ship. Let's just sacrifice ourselves and try to stop the asteroid. No shit, you idiot. You just blew off the asteroid into two parts. The least you can do is try to stop the big asteroid. 
what else are they going to do? Fly back to Earth after it's been destroyed? Right, land. Yeah. There's nothing at that point. The only thing you can possibly do is sacrifice yourself for the planet. It's that's it. There's no other uh, plan B here. Yeah, and 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 let's be honest. If you detonated a nuclear bomb that was sufficient to blow this thing in half, it would have knocked it off its orbit. You know, that would have been, that would have deflected it. So it doesn't hold water scientifically, although apparently the scientific community did say that of the two films, Deep Impact was the more scientifically accurate. Interesting. I, I had issues with the, the whole science of, of the astronauts actually getting in the ship and then flying out to the asteroid is it's already hokey. Have you ever fun. read God's Hammer? Arthur C. Clarke? No. Good book. Damn yeah. good book. Yeah. Would have made a will, better movie. I will write that one down. Um, was there a jaw dropping moment? Something that we didn't mention here, Matt? No, oh, it's the impact. So no, the, nothing, you, nothing. You we like didn't. That. Yes. So, I like a good so, deep impact, right? <laughs> so for me, <laughs> the, the moment that I thought that was the highlight of the film is when he, uh, uh, Morgan Freeman addresses the nation the second time after saying that the, the Messiah uh, didn't work and he gives this whole plan. I thought it was the, the most dread that I felt in the movie that there was this plan already in place by the government that we could house like roughly 1 million Americans underground for two years. All of that to think that like the, the government was thinking about that. How are we going to try to, you know, save keep, humanity? Keep, yes. Just save humanity at this point. And they do have a plan, you know, in place. I like that whole speech by Morgan Freeman for me. Yeah, that was pretty cool. There's there's elements of the mo- of this movie that are really good, but I agree. Maybe it did go too far. I remember at the time in the 90s, people saying the most unbelievable thing about this movie is that there's a black president like because this was obviously before we had Barack Obama, but it wasn't too long after that. Right. That that right. That, that that came true. The movie Ten predicted years. that. Hopefully it didn't predict the fact that there's a giant comet hurtling towards the earth. No, but just uh, maybe six months ago, even less than that was the first time that NASA actually did redirect an asteroid out in That's space. Right. Yeah. So they, they are testing these things. I mean, eventually we are going to get hit. I don't want to end the podcast on a, on a downer note here, but I mean, there's so much stuff out there in space. Now I'm not saying in our lifetime, but I mean, somewhere in a million years from now, there's a good chance we are going to, you know, it, it happened to the dinosaurs. Exactly. Yeah. So the, NASA is working on this. And I know, you know, seeing the news, they did redirect an asteroid to see if it was possible. And it is. So that's good news. We um, have some defense out there. Do you think that at the time in 98, that this was a global warming allegory? Do you think that no. there was a subtext here? No, I do not. I, I think this was just a straight up action disaster. movie with, with yeah. Tia Leone. And it was like, whatever, throw everybody in there that they can Elijah Wood. It's got a great cast for being such a garbage movie. It does. How about a movie poster quote? After 25 years, this is still a disaster. (laughs) I went with should have sent Bruce Willis to the asteroid. Yeah, he would have drilled it better, right? Get some roughnecks (laughs) up there. Yeah, son of a gun. How many jaws for deep impact 25 years later? 1.75. Ah, man, I just went up to a straight two. Two jaws, I give it two jaws. It's fun. It's garbage, but fun. 
I, I, I want to highlight one other thing. Um, I know we've talked a lot about deep impact, but I did think it was smart of them to open it up with them sort of discovering the asteroid. And then the next thing is uh, Tia Leone thinks she's uh, covering uh, the ex-president having an affair. Yeah. And what I realized it did is because I couldn't remember why she thought it was a, an affair with this girl named Ellie. Ellie. Yeah. Right. And so I was intrigued. I was like, oh, I forget. How does this turn into it? Then by the time I realized that this is a cover up for um, extinction level event, ELE. ELE. Right. And that there's an asteroid. I looked at my watch and we were basically 40 minutes into the movie. 45 minutes or 43 minutes in. So it's a two hour movie, but I'm going to tell you, Jawheads, it goes quick. This was not like a very difficult watch. I watched it in one sitting. I looked at my watch. I'm like, oh my God, they were smart to do this. Cause now you're like you say, you're even more into it. 45 minutes in, you're like, well, hell, we're pretty much near the end of the movie. It's really going at this point, you know? But then so, it keeps going. It keeps going. Yeah. Like every plan that they put into action fails. And you're like, oh crap, I guess the world is going to end, you know? It's, it's a good movie. It's, it's fun. It's fun. It is. Deep Impact is streaming on HBO Max. If you have the service, give it a stream. We're recommending Two Jaws for Ride the Movie Guy. 1.75. Matt's being harsh with his grades, like always. But you heard it in his voice and you heard it in his review, Jaws. He liked the movie. I did. I did. Big moment here on Cinema Jaw. Matt owes me $10. We doubled or nothing here. $20 bet on Stump the Kabinsky. The theme here is Explorer Movies. All right, let's do this. Explorer movies. In order to stump Kabinsky, we got to get three wrong. If Matt gets three correct, he is not stumped, and he does not Ah. owe me $20. Here we go. Question number one. Yeah. Interstellar was about a group of astronauts exploring in hopes to finding a new home. Name three actors from Interstellar. Um, Anne Hathaway, Matthew McConaughey, and Matt Damon. That is correct. Well done, Matt. We would have also accepted Casey Affleck, Jessica Chastain, Michael Caine, to name a few. Good movie. One one question in, one question correct. On the number two, Matt. The Lost City of Z stars this Sons of Anarchy actor. Um, I'm going to go with Charlie Hunnam. That is correct. Sons of Anarchy was the only hope you had there, right? It really was. It really I should have left it out of the question. But you see what a guy I am. Even though there's money on the line, I, I'm still giving you the. I could have said Ron question. Perlman. I could have uh, even said. Um, oh, man, I'm brain farting on her name. Peg Bundy. Well, here it is. Matt's got two questions in and he's got two right. Here are the three hardest questions. Question three to you, Matt. In 2005, Colin Farrell starred in this Terrence Malick film, which featured Pocahontas. Can you repeat the question? In 2005, Colin Farrell starred in this Terrence Malick film, which featured Pocahontas. Hmm. What was that called? Got a lot of criticism. Colin Farrell in a Terrence Malick film. Uh, 
Um, wow. I know the answer to this. I don't know. We need an answer now. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh. We were looking for a new world. Yeah. A new world. I did know. I did know it. It was in there somewhere. Three questions in. Matt has two correct. He still needs one more. Question four, Matt. In 2015, Jason Clark, Josh Brolin, and Jake Gyllenhaal starred as climbers in what film? 2015. Right. Jason Clark, Josh Brolin, and Jake Gyllenhaal starred as climbers in what film? Um, was that the one where they have to cut the dad down and he falls right in the beginning of the movie? I don't want to say, I mean, there's big money on the line here, Matt. Okay. Jason Clark, Josh um, Brolin, Jake Gyllenhaal all starts with J. Yeah. Interesting. Jason Clark, Josh Brolin, Jake Gyllenhaal. I was, I was trying to remember who Jason Clark was and now I, yeah, I can, I know who he is. Um, I should get a point for remembering who Jason Clark is. <laughs> oh man. I, it's here. that movie. It's that movie where, where they have to slash the rope right at the beginning and the dad falls to his death and they keep climbing. They keep climbing regardless it is cliffhanger two. Oh, that is a good one we're looking for everest everest uh, that's not think, the movie i was gonna say i don't think they cut the dad down in everest um you know the movie wow. i'm thinking of though where they where that's the opening scene mm, not off the top of my head here yeah. we are let's get it concentrate here matt because we are four questions in you have two correct two misses so it comes down to this last question name the 1995 movie that starred Laura Linney, Ernie Hudson, Tim Curry, that involved diamonds, a lost city, and a gorilla. In 1995, yeah. this film came out. It starred Laura Linney, Ernie Hudson, and Tim Curry. It involved diamonds, a lost city, and a gorilla. Name it. Um, wow. Oh my. I mean, the pressure's on. I've never seen Matt shake like this. Ernie Hudson is the key to this answer. I am so excited, Phil, about these free empanadas I'm having on Saturday. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. It's not like Baron Munchausen. That's that that's not it. He was an explorer though. And it's not like one of the King Kongs. <laughs> it's not Mighty Joe Young or what was that one with the it was like a cheap knockoff of King Kong. It's not that I don't think Tim Curry. Tim Curry would have been like a, he's the exp Baron Munchausen. That's my guess. <sighs> Sorry to buzz you there, Matt. We're looking for Congo, Congo. 
I was, I was on the right path. You know, I had my pith helmet on. I actually thought you might know it because Ernie Hudson, Tim Curry, 95, the, right. 95. When I wrote the question and I put it at number five, I thought to myself, well, this will be fun. Cause this is one of those questions. I think Matt might know. I don't know, but this could be like a Matt movie for sure, but didn't get it. Comment. Alas, alas, ah. it is double and not nothing. Wow. $20 come Saturday. I'm super excited, Matt. Yeah. Or we could let it ride, Ryan. We don't have a guest. <laughs> there he goes again. You want to let um, it ride, make it 40. I, let me think about that. In right, the meantime, we did throw a late question into the fish tank. If Phil is still there, Phil, do we have an answer to that one? Yes. So I was looking up the the uh, actress who was saying about the emulsion from the menu. That would be Janet McTeer. Janet McTeer, uh, also from uh, Tumbleweeds, which she was nominated ah. for Best Actress for. Yeah, I'm not nearly as familiar with Janet's work as I probably should be, but I know when she was on screen, I knew who she was. She does remind me of that uh, uh, girl from Widows, but it's not her. Um, but yeah, somebody that did look familiar. All right, I don't think we have any other movies to review, Matt. No, that's the end of this review-o-rama, Ryan. Yes, first and foremost, we're thanking our editor, our producer, Phil Mian Phil. Hey, listen, guys, not only am I thankful to be here tonight at all on this, the is this the last week of What's-His-Nuts Month, Robert Twilmont? I'm no. not right. positive. I wouldn't go there. I, I have to look at okay. the calendar, but we might have one it's more. Not, actually. It's not. Okay. Yeah. Not only here, uh, excited to be here on on a lovely night such as this in Robert Duvall month, but also for being allowed back after such a grave screw up on the Stranger Worlds uh, situation. <laughs> Matt, we should thank the sponsor. Yeah, thanks to Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Uh, happy to be promoting for those guys. You should check out their podcast, everybody, because it's a good one. And thank you to the Patreons who support the show really means the world to us. If you'd like to join our family of Patreons, go to patreon.com slash cinema jaw. Um, it would, it would be the best if you would join us. We're doing a lot of fun extras and uh, you support the show. Yeah. And I hear that there's a lottery going on, Ryan, and only a million Americans will be allowed into our Patreon before the comet comes and wipes everybody off the face of the oh, earth. So boy. you better get on that everybody. No doubt. No doubt. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies.